Blog Talk Radio. A long time ago, there lived a giant, a selfish giant, whose stunning garden was the most beautiful in all the land. One evening, this giant came home and found all these children playing in his garden, and he became enraged. My own garden is my own garden, the giant said, and he built this high wall around it. The author, Oscar Wilde, wrote the story of the selfish giant in 1888. Almost a hundred years later, that giant moved into my Brooklyn childhood and never left. I was raised in a religious family, and I grew up reading both the Bible and the Quran. The hours of reading, both religious and recreational, far outnumbered the hours of television watching. Now, on any given day, you could find my siblings and I curled up in some part of our apartment reading. Sometimes unhappily, because on summer days in New York City, the fire hydrant blasted. And to our immense jealousy, we could hear our friends down there playing in the gushing water, their absolute joy making its way up through our open windows. But I learned that the deeper I went into my books, the more time I took with each sentence, the less I heard the noise of the outside world. And so unlike my siblings who were racing through books, I read slowly, very, very slowly. I was that child with her finger running beneath the words until I was untaught to do this, told big kids don't use their fingers. In third grade, we were made to sit with our hands folded on our desk, unclasping them only to turn the pages and returning them to that position. Our teacher wasn't being cruel. It was the 1970s, and her goal was to get us reading not just on grade level, but far above it. And we were always being pushed to read faster. But in the quiet of my apartment, outside of my teacher's gaze, I let my finger run beneath those words, and that selfish giant again told me his story, how he had felt betrayed by the kids sneaking into his garden, how he had built this high wall, and it did keep the children out. But a gray winter fell over his garden and just stayed and stayed. With each rereading, I learned something new about the hard stones of the roads that the kids were forced to play on when they got expelled from the garden, about the gentleness of a small boy that appeared one day, and even about the giant himself. Maybe his words weren't rageful after all. Maybe they were a plea for empathy, for understanding. My own garden is my own garden. Years later, I would learn of a writer named John Gardner who referred to this as the fictive dream or the dream of fiction. And I would realize that this was where I was inside that book, spending time with the characters and the world that the author had created and invited me into. As a child, I knew that stories were meant to be savored, that stories wanted to be slow, and that some author had spent months, maybe years, writing them. And my job as the reader is especially as the reader who wanted to one day become a writer, was to respect that narrative. Long before there was cable or the internet or even the telephone, there were people sharing ideas and information and memory through story. It's one of our earliest forms of connective technology. It was the story of something better down the Nile that sent the Egyptians moving along it. The story of a better way to preserve the dead that brought King Tut's remains into the 21st century. And more than two million years ago, when the first humans began making tools from stone, someone must have said, what if? And someone else remembered the story. And whether they told it through words or gestures or drawings, it was passed down, remembered, hit a hammer, and hear its story. The world is getting noisier, We've gone from boom boxes to Walkman to portable CD players to iPods to any song we want whenever we want it. We've gone from the four television channels of my childhood to the seeming infinity of cable and streaming. 
As technology moves us faster and faster through time and space, it seems to feel like stories getting pushed out of the way. I mean, literally pushed out of the narrative. But even as our engagement with stories change, are the trappings around it morph from book to audio to Instagram to Snapchat? We must remember our finger beneath the words. Remember that story, regardless of the format, has always taken us to places we never thought we'd go. Introduced us to people we never thought we'd meet, and shown us worlds that we might have missed. So while as technology keeps moving faster and faster, I am good with something slower. My finger beneath the words has led me to a life of writing books for people of all ages, books meant to be read slowly, to be savored. My love for looking deeply and closely at the world, for putting my whole self into it, and by doing so, seeing the many, many, many possibilities of a narrative turned out to be a gift. Because taking my sweet time taught me everything I needed to know about writing, and writing taught me everything I needed to know about creating worlds where people could be seen and heard, where their experiences could be legitimized. And where my story, read or heard by another person, inspired something in them that became a connection between us, a conversation. And isn't that what this is all about? Finding a way at the end of the day to not feel alone in this world, and a way to feel like we've changed it before we leave. Stone to hammer, man to mummy, idea to story, and all of it. Remember it. Sometimes we read to understand the future. Sometimes we read to understand the past. We read to get lost, to forget the hard times we're living in, and we read to remember those who came before us, who lived through something harder. I write for those same reasons. Before coming to Brooklyn, my family lived in Greenville, South Carolina, in a segregated neighborhood called Nickeltown. All of us there were the descendants of a people who had not been allowed to learn to read or write. Imagine that—the danger of understanding how letters form words, the danger of words themselves, the danger of illiterate people and their stories. But against this backdrop of being threatened with death for holding on to a narrative, our stories didn't die. Because there is yet another story beneath that one, and this is how it has always worked. For as long as we've been communicating, there's been the layering to the narrative, the stories beneath the stories, and the ones beneath those. This is how story has and will continue to survive. As I began to connect the dots that connected the way I learned to write and the way I learned to read to an almost silenced people, I realized. That my story was bigger and older and deeper than I would ever be, and because of that, it will continue. Among these almost silenced people, there were, ones, there were the ones who never learned to read. Their descendants, now generations out of enslavement, if well off enough, had gone on to college, grad school, beyond. Some, like my grandmother and my siblings, seem to be born reading, as though history stepped out of their way. Some, like my mother, hitched onto the Great Migration wagon, which was not actually a wagon, and kissed the South goodbye. But here is the story within that story: those who left and those who stayed carried with them the history of a narrative. Knew deeply that writing it down wasn't the only way they could hold on to it. Knew they could sit on their porches or their stoops at the end of a long day and spin a slow tale for their children. They knew they could sing their stories through the thick heat of picking cotton and harvesting tobacco. Knew they could preach their stories or sew them into quilts, turn the most painful ones into something laughable, and through that laughter, exhale the history of a country that tried again and again and again to steal their bodies, their spirit. And their story. So, as a child, I learned to imagine an invisible finger taking me from word to word, from sentence to sentence, from ignorance to understanding. So, as technology continues to speed ahead, I continue to read slowly. 
knowing that I am respecting the author's work and the story's lasting power. And I read slowly to drown out the noise and remember those who came before me, who probably the first people who finally learned to control fire and circled its new, their new power of flame and light and heat. And I read slowly to remember the selfish giant, how he finally tore that wall down and let the children run free through his garden. And I read slowly to pay homage to my ancestors who are not allowed to read at all. They too must have circled fires, speaking softly of their dreams, their hopes, their futures. Each time we read, write, or tell a story, we step inside their circle, and it remains unbroken, and the power of story lives on. Thank you. to Raising Independent Thinkers. This show is a space for families who are homeschooling or thinking about homeschooling. We'll explore alternative teaching methods, federal and state homeschooling laws, and most importantly, this show is a platform where families can inspire one another on how to raise independent thinkers. I'm your host, Bathsheba Omani, Montessori educator, homeschooling consultant, owner of Homeschool Guide, LLC, and mother of two. Let's get started. Good evening, everyone. This is the Raising Independent Thinker Show with your host, Beth Sheba. I hope you all are doing well today. I hope you're having a blessed week. Um, knowing that you're alive and able to breathe in fresh air, move around freely is something um, to celebrate on a daily basis. You know, I believe um, we take for granted so many things while we're here, you know, simple things like walking, talking, seeing, tasting, breathing, holding our children and our loved ones. And it's it's just important that we remind ourselves um, of all these blessings and acknowledge the blessings each and every day. So for the past two weeks, I have been very busy um, doing some traveling. I had a birthday this past week. Akeem and I took a trip to um, the Riviera Maya, which is an hour outside of Cancun, Mexico. And we had a wonderful time. The resort that we stayed in did a wonderful job keeping everything like impeccably clean. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and the nice part about it was it, it only had like, I believe, 40% occupancy because of the social distancing guidelines. Um, we spent the majority of our time outdoors in the sun. Um, it was under well undercrowded. <laughs> And I think it also helped that it was off-season for traveling as well. Uh, got to do many things for the first time. And I just, I truly appreciate Akeem for just making that time special for me and just, you know, making sure that we're safe. And he really put um, a lot of thought into the trip. So I really do appreciate that. So we definitely both took the time to enjoy each other's company and just, care for ourselves. And I'm always telling my adult learners that self-care is so important each and every day. And it doesn't mean spending lots of money, but just doing something that makes you feel good. Um, And that could be going for a walk on a sunny day, taking a long bath, having a glass of wine, reading a good book, uh, but just making time for yourself. And I'm glad that we were able to do that. Um, I also just got back from New York seeing my family. I got to spend time with my brothers and one of my sisters over the weekend 
whom I haven't seen in over a year. And it was just really nice to be there, especially when um, a family member is going through something. And sometimes tragedy really brings people even closer together. And I'm just happy that we were all able to come together and we're all alive and well and able to see each other one more time. So this week for me was just a reminder to just really appreciate and cherish the times with your loved ones and just keep them close. So this um, this week has been busy, and today I'm so excited um, to be discussing all about literacy, literacy strategies for young children. I have a special guest. Her name is Farida Goodwin. She is a longtime educator and literacy coach from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, she'll be coming in around half past the hour. So please write down any questions that you might have about literacy strategies. Um, you might have concerns about your child reading, maybe questions about comprehension skills, uh, maybe questions about strategies to get started teaching phonetics. But Farida is um, happy to support you and answer any questions um, you may have as best as she can. And um, all you need to do is call in. The number is 425-569-5169. Again, that's 425-569-5169 and hit the number one and you'll be on hold and then I will open up your mic. Okay. Um, she's very excited. She's very passionate about what she does and I'm looking forward to her being on the show. So earlier, um, I played the TED Talk video called What Reading Slowly Taught Me by Jacqueline Woodson, um, who was the speaker. And every time I listen to this particular uh, presentation, it just reminds me of the love that I had for reading as a child and how important it was to me just to be able to experience, you know, multiple realities, being able to imagine what it would be like living in a different part of the world or a different time frame and learning from different characters, experiencing their stories or experiencing life through the eyes of someone else, which I believe helped me understand other perspectives, even as a young child. And reading was definitely my comfort as a child. I would be the one walking to school with a book right in my face, <laughs> you know, kind of like how people now are walking while looking at their cell phones, just scrolling through images and pictures. But I would be so engrossed in my book while walking down the street and just allowing it to take me to a whole nother world. And it was comforting because it helped me to learn about the world around me, just learning about different people and places outside of my own experiences. And thinking about it now, I think that's one of the things that helped me to connect so well with other types of people and other cultures, because the stories that I read really helped me understand that um, we can learn from the experiences of other people. So my love for reading was definitely a gift um, another thing that Jacqueline had mentioned in the TED Talk was just acknowledging the hardship that people of color had just to be able to have that privilege to learn to read. Um, today, although we still are underprivileged in certain ways, we do have the opportunity to teach our children how to read. And I feel like um, that's something that we need to um, be more mindful and we need to, we need, that's something that's extremely important. And I like that she said books are meant to be savored. So of course we know um, there's so many other benefits to reading. It improves concentration. It helps increase vocabulary and language skills. It develops the imagination. And it's also a good way to bond with others. As a kid, I love to read, but I also enjoyed being read too. And my fondest memory was um, when I was in the third grade, I had a teacher who would read the Choose Your Adventure books to the class. I'm not sure if any of you know what that is, but um, you basically choose what you want the character to do in the adventure. 
And we would be able to do that. And it was a treat for us. We would all be able to choose as a group. Um, And we were all pretty excited, like we were preschoolers being read to. But even today, it may sound strange, I really do enjoy just listening to a good story or just listening to someone um, who's, who's a good reader, just read a story. And today, as we know it, um, as Jacqueline had mentioned, storybooks are getting pushed out with technology. And I don't necessarily think that that um, is all a bad thing because I know that we things do evolve and books are evolving. Um, you know, both of my children were very strong in reading, especially my son, Sam. He loved to read out loud when he was younger, and he still does. And I think that um, really helped him with many, many skills. He also um, enjoyed being read to. And now that he's older, he actually enjoys listening to multiple audiobooks that he has. He's even starting to get interested in audiobook reading, where he's recording his voice and then reading stories that he creates and other people create as well. Um, which there's a need for because so many people are now purchasing audiobooks. And I'm sure there's still many people who would prefer, you know, a good old fashioned hard covered book. And it's probably still like a controversial topic, but I believe that it depends on the reader. Um, I think that the digital books can accommodate more learning styles for certain types of people. Um, having a child myself with special needs who now is an adult his ebooks allow him to have many options, you know, such as being able to change the size of the text with larger letters. And they even have three dimensional visuals, which might help someone with visual needs, such as my son. But it's it's definitely a good topic to discuss one week. So during the show, um, during the last show, I gave some pre-reading strategies, and hopefully that did help um those of you who have preschoolers who are just learning and finding interest in language, classification, letters, and phonetics, um, I hoped that it was a good transition to today's discussion on literacy strategies. So I am going to take a short break, and I'm going to play um, a short, another short video. And when I come back, we will hear from Farida. Okay, be right back. I'm just curious, how many parents are in this crowd with children between the ages of zero to five? Uh, clap, hand raise, amen, preach, anything, just let me know who's here. Okay, we got a few parents in here. Now the whole audience, let's give them a round of applause because being a parent is no small thing. And the reason why I have such a, I, I see myself as like an ally, an advocate for parents, because at this stage in my academic career, I am privileged to sit on uh, some high levels of education policy globally. I sit on three different uh, major organizations, and we're all looking at this outcome. How do we prepare children to thrive in the future? What does a student in 2030 who's going to be at this level in their academic career, what skills do they need to know? And if you're a parent, that's a terrifying question. Because whether we say it out loud or not, we don't really know what education is going to look like in 2030. We are all putting together our best educated guesses, but technology is rapidly changing. There's a buzzword that flows around, 21st century skills, have you heard it? It's like a selling phrase on a lot of things, 21st century skills. In education, it's like a sexy word, you know, like 21st century skills, and you automatically assume that I know everything when I don't. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
um, what we're saying when we use the term 21st century skills, we're trying to provide you with our best educated assumption on what education is going to look like and what skills students need to have to thrive in the future. And if you look at the World Economic Forums, this is their um, review of lifelong learning. And these are the skill sets they feel students need. We have far more here under foundational literacies than reading, writing, and arithmetic. And for the parents, grandparents, adults, stakeholders in the room, if we're honest with ourselves, the education that we're preparing children for is not the education we received. So we're all learning at the same time. But it doesn't stop there. Then we go from foundational literacies to competencies. And we start pulling in skills like we moved past literacy to digital literacy, uh, global competency. Now we're thinking about critical thinking skills and creativity and innovation, which are buzzwords within the larger community in itself. But then we move on to character traits. And if you look at the OECD's Education 2030 framework, they have designed 11 well-being areas. I'm going to pause so you can like look at some of these. Um, Notable suggestions. These are all areas we feel children should have if they're going to do well in the future. As adults, if you look at this, how many of these skills can you say, you know what, in Hong Kong, we are knocking this out of the park. Like, civic engagement, you know, we rock 2014. You know, we, we, we kind of, we're, we're clear on that. Uh, housing, you know, apartment hunting here is enjoyable. The landlords are the best. Whoever my future landlord is, I love you. Don't raise my rent. <laughs> and the biggest one, work-life balance. If anyone in the room feels like you understand work-life balance, please let me know. I'll try to get you on stage next year because you have a message Hong Kong really needs to hear. But for the parents who are in the room and, you know, you're laughing along, but in the, in the pit of your stomach is this nervousness because you're like, you know what, I really have no idea uh, how I'm going to do this or how much it's going to cost me to get my child to this skill set. I am here to share with you a research-based, evidence-proven resource that is outstanding. Parent-child reading aloud. And parent-child reading aloud between the ages of zero to five and even further. But during these foundational years, it's a powerful thing. Now, unfortunately, in Hong Kong, a lot of times when I say things about parent-child reading aloud, I get parents that hear me, and they think, okay, I get my child to the point where they can read, and then I envision them reading alone, reading very impressive books like Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events at the Age of Six. You know, because we're, we're hard achievers in Hong Kong. Like, I want to see them reading dense books and loving it by themselves. And I want to say, actually, that's one outcome. But the power of parent-child reading aloud is more than just the skill. It's the bonding. And if anyone has experience being read to or reading to a child, there is something, and I'm going to use an unscientific term to describe it, it is absolutely magical if you experience enjoying a story with a child. But that magic is not sprinkling through Hong Kong the way I'd hoped. Uh, the theme for this TEDx is uh, emergence. This was my moment of emergence. I was, uh, in 2014, I was starting my doctoral research uh, in Hong Kong on early childhood literacy. And, you know, I've told you a bit of who I am. And I came in after doing a master's uh, in Beijing, so I already knew I already knew I wanted to research this area, and I knew I was passionate about parent-child reading aloud, and I'm like, I'm going to come to Hong Kong, and I heard about the refugee situation, so I'm like, I'm going to be the Michelle Obama of this movement, and I'm going to like help equality and all of that. It's going to be awesome. And then um, I found out the rate of Hong Kong's engagement in early childhood literacy activities. We were last, guys. We were last. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I had to make an epic decision. I decided right then and there I could spend the next four years getting my credentials and then addressing the issue, or I could drop my bucket right where I was and get involved in helping. And that's what I did. I went to 
parents where they were. If you talk to parents and you ask them why they don't engage, they'll tell you time. So I went to the corporate office. I didn't stop there. I went to the communities. I went to the refugee asylum centers and I shared everything I knew about effective early childhood literacy. And it boiled down to these four things. Talk, read, sing, play. Now, if you want to hear more, you got to ask me back because I'm down to like four minutes. But I will tell you a little bit more about read. If you can read at least 15 minutes a day, the research says that's the minimum amount of time you need to invest in order to start seeing some outcomes. But I want to go beyond just the 15 minutes. I want to talk to you about the power of reading in a way that ties back into those 21st century skills. One foundational skill is global competency, the ability to collaborate and work well with others. Technology has made the world flat, and there's a high probability that in the future, Students are going to work with students from different parts of the world at earlier and earlier stages. What better way to introduce them to the world than through a children's book that presents a child being a child, something they relate to? And who better to teach them that than by someone they love more than anyone in this world, the parent, in the safest place that should be the safest place, the home. And if you allow yourself to engage in this idea of reading aloud with the child, maybe we can do something about this. The PEARLS stands for the Progress and in International Reading Literacy Study, and it's issued every five years. 2011 was the most recent cycle when I started. As of December 2017, they released the latest results, the 2016 PEARLS. Good news, we moved up two spots. Uh, if you're looking at the United States and England, no, 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 we're not higher than them. They didn't take the take-home survey, so they're just there to let you know, like, they didn't participate. We, but we beat Macau and we beat Morocco, you know, woo! <laughs> we're on our way, Hong Kong! Stories of us! <laughs> but I tell you this much, in all seriousness, we got a great deal of work to do. We do. And whether we are reading aloud with our children, engaging with our children in loving ways, or if we feel like we're being absorbed into the wider pressure of society that's trying to make us think we need to be on the cutting edge of every new class or every new course, our children are following in our footsteps. And this opportunity to be in front of you is to let you know there are people like myself who are advocating for you, who take issue with the fact that you are dealing with a lot of pressure, financially, socially, to raise children that meet this ideal that's always changing. But one thing remains the same. If you are willing to set up a tradition of reading aloud with your child, creating a pathway of storytelling, which opens up conversation, you can build a bridge. We don't know what the world is going to look like, but if you have established a pattern of reading aloud with your children, talking about civic events, using that story time to have conversation, you can pull into that into the future. And when you notice your child may be dealing with bullying, maybe dealing with emotional issues, you can grab a storybook, you can sit down with that child, and you can talk to each other through a story. You create a space of dialogue, and you remind them of the pattern you already have, so it's not some new thing. They already know this is what we do. So, my call to action to you all. In another five years, another Pearls exam will come forward. Let's all come back with a story to tell about how we built a bridge that connects our children to a better tomorrow. Okay, I am back. Um, today we are discussing literacy strategies with uh, my guest, Farida Goodwin. Remember, if you have any questions, please call in. The number is 425-569-5169 and hit the number one. So let me go ahead and connect her. Let's see. Farida, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hi. Hi, how are you, Beth? I'm good. good. How are you? I'm doing great. 
Thank you for that little um, intro, the breather, where you said just take a deep breath. And that just really, you know, took all the uh, jitters away. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's important to breathe. <laughs> well, yes. I'm so happy that you're, you're able to join me and just take some time out of your day and support families out there listening or whoever's listening. Um, so do you want to tell like the listeners about yourself? I already mentioned that you're from New York. I'm from New York <laughs> too. And yeah. you're a longtime educator. Um, how, how and why did you first get involved in teaching literacy? Well, you know what? Thank you for that. And one, thank you, Beth, for having me. I truly appreciate it. Um, and I hope the information helps someone. That's the goal. And yeah. so I really, you know, like you said, and I, I love those two snippets that you share. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to uh, Jacqueline Woodson, I, I also grew up, you know, um, in Brooklyn, New York. You know, I grew up in the projects. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't have much, but my parents really stressed education. And mm-hmm. so I remember taking little trips to the library with my dad, and, you know, I just fell in love with books. I agree. Reading right. aloud is the key. And so he would read to us, and I don't remember exactly how I learned to read, but I know that I was reading in kindergarten with my teacher, Miss Bagley. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was similar to you. Um, I loved being read to, but when I learned how to read, like you just couldn't mm-hmm. stop me. And so that's when I, you know, I fell in love with it, you could say. Right. So were you one of those kids that always had a book in your hand, like book in your face? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah I, I think that you, you know, I, I don't know. I Maybe you were more, uh, more of a bookworm than me. I, I loved <laughs> reading in my room when I got mm-hmm. home from school after, okay. you know, um, after I watched my little chipmunks and I did my homework, I just curled up with my favorite book, which was Mouse Soup. And, um, okay. yeah, I just started mm-hmm. reading then. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how how did you first get involved in, like, teaching literacy? Oh, that's a great question. So I, I, I knew at a very young age, you know, um, math wasn't really my favorite. Um, I I think what saved me was, once again, knowing how to read and comprehend, Mm -hmm. and that's how I was able to, you know, work my way through math. But I I said, okay, you know, I want to be a teacher. And every time that I would, you know, I taught various subjects, but whenever I taught the reading or the literature piece, something Mm -hmm. just went off, you know, it was just excitement and joy. And, you know, I said, before this is all said and done, I just want to focus solely on literacy. And so okay. I started, you know, uh, working um, in Midtown where, you know, I was, like I said, teaching various subjects. And then I moved to Charter where it was more of a pullout situation in small group. And then mm-hmm. that led me to my opportunity at the Department um, of Education where now I solely work uh, with literacy and helping teachers have best practices in literacy. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's, I think it's awesome just to be able to focus on one area so you can, yeah. you know, you, you can master that area and just focus on that one thing. And I know you, you, um, your title is a, a literacy coach. So yes. what does a, a literacy coach do? So, uh, so pretty much um, my charge is to go into schools that are struggling um, in the areas of literacy, whether it's the foundational skills, the comprehension. I mean, I feel like you need all of it in order to mm-hmm. become fluent. And so I go in and I do two things. I do a few things. I work with administration to see, to look at the data and see where the issues are. Uh, we come up with a plan to support those teachers from kindergarten to second grade. And then Mm -hmm. we start pulling small groups of scholars that are struggling to break the alphabetic code. And, you know, we just keep looking. And I feel like you're constantly, um, what's the word, Uh, being very reflective and teaching and changing Mm -hmm. your practice in the moment. That's what makes Mm -hmm. I feel like a good literacy coach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome that – 
Yeah, I I actually agree because every child is different. You know, yes. each learns differently, so you have to be able to to um, change. So let me ask you a question: Do you find teaching rewarding? And I ask that because I know a lot of teachers that don't feel you know appreciated and doing it for a long time. I know yeah. sometimes the fire slowly starts to burn out. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that of you because when I first spoke to you like you sounded so pumped. <laughs> You're just so excited about yeah. what you do. But do you do you find it um still rewarding? I do, and I'm not just saying that to say it, and I'll tell you why. I think it really mm-hmm. has to do with your experiences. Like mm-hmm. I said, I, I know for me, you know, um, growing up in poverty, um, you know, I'm grateful just to be here, right? And so there were right. teachers who saw something in me, and they took a risk, mm-hmm. you know, and took a chance with me, and they gave me a little, you know, more extra support if I needed it, or, you know, they right. – um, you know, motivated me. And so whenever it does feel a little daunting, because it does, it's reality, mm-hmm. I tend to go back to that and say, well, pay it forward, because someone saw something in you, and now right. it's your turn mm-hmm. to see something in someone else. Yeah, that's, that's So that's awesome. what keeps me excited. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's refreshing to hear that, um, just someone with so Thank much passion guys. for what they're doing. Um and I had another question. Um, so I listened to some of the, the live videos. I, I talked to you before about that, the live videos yes. that you have on Facebook. And I'm not sure if you have them on YouTube. Um, I watched the one that was get called Get Lit Part 3. Yes. I wasn't able to find Part 1 or 2. <laughs> and maybe you can, you know, tell me how to find it. Yes, we'll too. But you were talking about um, like blending words and consonant um, tapping, I believe it was called. Yeah. Tapping words. And that's yes. the first time I've ever heard of the tapping method. So I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that or explain how that sure. method works. <laughs> sure. So so I think something, and like I said, I, I really love those, those snippets that you shared because it really speaks to a lot of, what's happening now with the next generation learning standards and the advanced mm-hmm. literacies, where they want scholars to be by the 21st. Like, like, like that's all that you keep hearing. Right. And so for a very long time growing up, we were always told things like, look at the picture. That'll help you figure out the word. Well, for me, right. you know, that goes against the, the uh, science of reading. And if you look at mm-hmm. what that says, it says that not every text will have a picture that you're going to have to have some strategies in order to attack that word. And Mm -hmm. one of the strategies is called the uh, tapping out method, which focuses on segmenting and blending each sound in order to make meaning of the word. And so Mm -hmm. um, based on, you know, we we like to start out with three, uh, three, three letter words like cat. And you just teach the scholars that my thumb is touching my first uh, finger, which that would be the sound then my mm-hmm. middle finger is ah, and then my mm-hmm. last finger is t, and then I'm sweeping my thumb across those three fingers to blend the word cat. And right, so that right. often helps them to segment and blend. Right. And it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to do yeah. that. And I like, I like um, the fact that they're using their fingers. Yes. You know, and they're using that another sensory another sense <laughs> to learn. And, you know, being an Absolutely. educator myself, I'm, I'm always interested in learning other strategies, knowing that there's many ways to do something, many ways to learn. I agree with you, Beth. I am too. And, and I, you know, another strategy that I really, I recently learned about it when I was getting trained um, mm-hmm. in, in this program called Letters, which deals with um, phonemic awareness and, and um, phonological awareness and like the, how the brain thinks about mm. letters and sounds is called the uh, heart strategy. So, you know, growing up, anytime that we saw a sight word, we were taught this is a word that you have to know by heart. 
But that's not true. Right. 86% of sight words are decodable. And so part of the word, I can tap it out. The other part I have to know. And so little tips and tricks like that really help scholars to break the the alphabetic code. Yeah. So sight, you were talking about sight words. Do you want to explain like what a sight word is for those who don't, don't know? Sure. My pleasure. So like I said, growing up, we've always known sight words to be the words like a, the, I, is, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we were told that you have to drill. So I have to put them on index cards and I have to keep showing you over and over and over until you commit it to memory. Well, when a scholar is unable to do so, it impedes their ability to read. And Mm -hmm. so there is a, a method called the heart strategy where I can look at the word with and with, I can tap it out. I just have to know that TH makes a sound, and mm-hmm. there you go, with. Hmm. I have to, I have to watch you do that. <laughs> so, yes. so you tap out the, you, so you, you're C- doing C-S-W. two taps? W. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. so I'm tapping out the, uh, the uh, W, so I'm going, woof, eh. And that TH, I'm teaching scholars to put a heart over that. Because that oh. TH is the part that you have to know it by heart. Mm-hmm. Just like in okay. the word, let's say in the word was, I can tap out W. That A is actually making the U sound, uh. So I'm going to mm-hmm. put a heart over that. And the S, I can also tap. And so when we teach okay. them that way, they know how to break it up and read it with um, automaticity. Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. It so, um, me. <laughs> so did you learn those strategies in your in your training, or did you like make up some of them on your own? And so, a lot of the things that I I um, teach or created were around comprehension and okay. getting you to understand questioning. Those mm-hmm. phonological awareness and. And the heart strategies, I was trained in those things, which, like you said, it's all about giving kids access, so multisensory programs. Those are my favorite because, you know, everybody doesn't learn it right away. It doesn't mean that they're not capable. They just need another entry point. And right. so those things I've, you know, I've, I've been trained in, but the comprehension, okay. you, you just learn it, you know, you're, you're changing your instruction in a moment. Right. Right. So with comprehension, um, do you, what do you have type? Do you have different strategies for helping yes. children to comprehend? Absolutely. Um, and so what I feel with the comprehension, and I see this a lot in schools, is that they focus a lot on factual questions, like what is mm-hmm. the setting. Um, who is the person, where we really need to be diving, if we're looking at how to prepare them to be critical thinkers and problem solvers, we need to be really focusing on inferential and critical thinking questions, like um, how can you use the images um, and the author's point of view to answer or come up with your own wonderings? Those are the kinds of questions Mm -hmm. that we really need to be pushing. And and I, I love that you said, that your son listens to a lot of audio books because I love those too. Okay, yeah, if he I'm, does. <laughs> yeah, and, and so no one is really there with him. He's doing that independently, but if, if we're asking those kinds of questions, he can do that mm-hmm. on his own. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So what are, you, what are, what are your thoughts about, um, I guess, like the, the different, audiobooks and the the different apps that they have out um online versus children just reading like a hard covered book so i agree with you beth when, when you said that you need both right and so mm-hmm. you know kids need to be able to grapple with a book in front of them you know because it prepares them for you know what my son i have two sons and one of them, he wants to be an engineer. Well, you know, that's not an audio. You know, he's going to have to right. have plans right in front of him and working with, you know, his partners to kind of, you know, um, create something. And so I, I think that when you expose them to both, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're making them well-rounded, you know. 
And so I'm, I'm not against audiobooks. I love audiobooks because I still love being read too, right? Um, okay. But I think giving them a job, a thinking job, as they're listening to those audiobooks um, sets them up for success. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think, I just think that everyone learns differently and yes. um, both of my children actually like the audiobooks, but my son especially likes it. I mean, he'll listen to stories. He listens to stories every day. He's always been oh, into um, language and books. <laughs> um, now I'm, you have mentioned that you wrote a book. And we didn't get yeah. into like what the book was about, I don't believe. But can you tell us about about your book? Okay, so I'm like when you wrote it. When finished. did you write it? <laughs> yeah, so this book has really been like um, a, a love letter to Brownsville and for Green Brooklyn, uh, parts okay. of Brooklyn. And so it's been a long time coming, and I'm actually in the process of finishing it up. But um, okay. this book is. Uh, it's all about motivational quotes. I found that, you know, I've chosen to work in various settings, but for the last um, six or seven years, I've worked in uh, settings where, you know, it was low income uh, and okay. struggling academically. And so in order to help them uh, with literacy, I've had to motivate them and get them okay. to see their greatness. And so it, it's really around quotes and, and inspirational tools to support with learning. Okay. And I love that. Classes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Beth. Um, yeah. Well, we always need some inspiration. Yes, I agree. And I told you, you should be thinking about like creating some workbooks because I know, you know, yeah. many families who are interested um, in just getting more strategies and, and interested in different types of works, workbooks, especially if you have videos that go along with them. Yes. Yeah, it's just an idea. And I, I appreciate it. <laughs> what I would like to do is share with you, and I'm going to email you um, something, and it has to do with the comprehension piece of it, and it's called the transferable questions. And so okay. I feel like that would be very um, – I use them. I've, I use them with my sons. I've used them in the classroom. Um, okay. And that would be very uh, beneficial when looking at, you know, written responses and um, answering questions while reading. Transferable question. So what what type of questions yes. would it like give so, me an example? So it's 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 one of the questions that I, I shared with you a few minutes ago about the, the how and the why questions and it's based on the next generation standards. And so I sat okay. down and um I created a lot of them uh, myself as well as um my partner and uh who we've been teaching together for a couple of years. Okay. And, you know, we've just found that it's really uh, useful and it exposes them early on. So when they see these questions on, let's say, an outcome assessment, like a state exam, it's not mm-hmm. like I'm baffled. Like I've seen this before, okay. I know how to answer, and I know how to think about it. Okay. So it's a better way to get them prepared? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. You can definitely... Send it to me, email it to me. Um, there was a, another question I have wanted to ask you that, you know, I, I hear a lot of parents um, ask if their child is not interested at all in reading. What are some ways that, you know, you tell parents or what are some ways that you can help a child become interested in reading? So I think it's the same thing. Um, I, I agree with, with the young lady. Um, you just had the snippet. It's about the uh, read-alouds. Um, mm. When you read aloud to them, you know, and like I said, I've had scholars who really were two years behind. They would enter second grade. They weren't in kindergarten reading level. Not mm. only are they not interested in reading, but their confidence is shot. And mm. so when I right. would read aloud to the class, I would do it with such excitement and enthusiasm that my love for it now mm-hmm. triggered something in them. Right. And so another resource that I love, I, I read this book, it's called Molly Ness, Think Big, um, Think Alouds. 
and mm-hmm. you know she she talks about how and she gives and, and like I said it's interesting because as educators you just kind of know what to do but as parents right. you know sometimes you, you don't know where to start but what I love about this book is not only does it give you examples of great uh, read aloud books but it also mm-hmm. gives you the questions to ask and so mm-hmm. that's like half the battle right oh, there that's good yeah as yeah. for comp- comprehension yeah that's really good um, yeah I think what I think sometimes with parents, they think if their child is reading, once their child starts to read, they should just always be reading. And they don't, yeah. you know, they forget <laughs> or they just don't understand the benefits of reading out loud. So, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I I agree with you. And I think also letting them choose, you know, like I know my sons are like, it's always a battle if they think that I'm the one telling them what to do. But oh, right. Them letting them the choose what, what book. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. Getting them to that. choose something that they're interested in. Um, yeah. My, my son right now, he's interested in, Oh goodness, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> it's a it's, she, it's a specific author, um, but that's he just listens to this one author constantly, and I'm you know it's it's all good. Like that's what he enjoys doing, and exactly. <laughs> okay, well, is there any other strategies? Any anything else that you want to? Sure I don't see so any I, other callers, um, and there's a few people that are listening actually live um, on YouTube. But if anyone awesome. has any questions for Farida, um, you can ask. You know, I, Farida, I know that you um, you're thinking about starting up a podcast. You had yes. mentioned that. Um, have you thought more about it? Yeah, I've, I've thought more about, you know, you know, centering it around the, the uh, different passions, the things that I'm interested in. Um, okay. and obviously one of them would be literacy. Um, okay. but uh, yeah, so you, you kind of, you know, lit the flame in that area. So I was like, okay. So what what I, else I are you interested it. in? I know I like I've seen some of the videos um on you do a lot of uh, talking on spirituality. Um but yes. what other things are you interested in? So I'm I'm really interested in, you know, like I was saying in in motivation, you know, um okay. and and mindset because sometimes mm-hmm. it's so easy to, you know, um, you know, have someone else pump you up, but there are moments where there's no one else there. And so you have to be your own cheerleader, you know, having conversations around that, um, I think are key. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And especially when you're doing, um, a podcast, like I was telling you before, you know, you might not have anyone to talk to. <laughs> so you're just pretty much, it's it's like you're talking to yourself. And if you're going to be talking about motivation, um, the first person you're motivating is yourself, right? Yes. So, yeah. But I believe you do it. And I'm looking forward yeah, thank to, you, Beth. Yeah, to hearing, hearing your first show. Yes, I'm like super excited. And I know you just said I wanted to give you just a few more tips. Okay. Because I I think you just asked. So um I as parents and these are things that you can um purchase or you can look them up online because they're free online as well. Um and through YouTube. But if your scholar is or your child is struggling with um Letter sound connection. I love the program Sounds in Motion, okay, where um, it's yes, it's by Frances Santor, and she teaches you about movement and how that helps to trigger uh, mm-hmm. the uh, letter sound connection for them. Um, I also mentioned the heart strategy. Um, I'm definitely um, an advocate for decodables. Um, 
preferably the Bob books, um, and that helps with those scholars that are just starting out. Oh yeah, um, I love Bob books. <laughs> yeah, they're like we use them. We like use them a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely best. I think also that we've gotten away from this, but with the foundations program, they're they're a big fan of it. Is dictation. So having them, you know, um, say the letter, the sound, or even say, can you give me a sentence with the word, you know, um, backpack? You know, those mm-hmm. things are key. Uh, read aloud. And the thing that I, and, and something that you said earlier, Beth, that mm-hmm. one of the benefits for read alouds is that people think that if I'm reading a story to you or, or if I ask you to read something to me and tell me what you read, that's mm-hmm. only me assessing your comprehension. But when I'm reading aloud, I'm building your comprehension because right. you're seeing how I grapple with the story. Um, right. And definitely vocabulary. Um, right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, read, um, I think reading aloud, um, You, sh- I, when you have a young child, you should be doing it every day. And um, yes. Even young children, like they're absorbing everything, everything. Absolutely. And I, I even um, encourage parents to uh, read in their native language. Absolutely, Beth. You know? So, yep, I am definitely an advocate for reading out loud. Absolutely, I agree. And um, that's that's so I haven't heard that in a long time, so I'm happy that you um brought that up. But it's it's key. I mean, you know, oftentimes we have scholars in our classroom who, you know, um you know, uh, are are ELL or, you know, mm-hmm. language learners and right away we're like, I wanna, you know, try to, you know, uh teach them English and, and that's not how they learn it. It's learning in their native tongue as well as English, and that's yes. where they start to break the code. Like, you can't do one without the other. Right, They need right. both. Yeah, so I agree with you on that one, Beth. With the, with the sounds and motions, that sounds familiar, but what is, what is that exactly? So it, it, it was actually created by a speech pathologist who was used in the Orton Gillingham Foundation's program. But she mm-hmm. saw with with her clients, but she saw that some of the, uh, you know, students due to speech and language and various other disabilities weren't breaking the code. And so okay. she created Sounds in Motion, which is pretty much movements that make sense. It correlates with the science of reading to help mm-hmm. to, to help trigger what the sound is and how it connects to that letter. And so oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, hmm, it's that's, amazing. that's very interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know um, about Montessori education, but we use something called sandpaper letters when mm-hmm. we're um, introducing the letters. And the children learn to trace the letters using their fingers and moving, um, using their their fingers in sand. Yes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, then they learn to write the letters and then they combine the sounds to make words. But they're first learning um, how to feel and, and move their hand along in the sand. Um, and then they have this material called the movable alphabet, which is also something that they're feeling and moving um, the letters around and feeling the different shapes, um, being able to manipulate them into words. So I think movement is something um, that's important when we're learning. I agree with you 100% yeah. because like you said earlier, there is, you know, that's another thing that I tell parents. Knowing how your child processes information is key to not comparing Right. And so, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I think that we've gotten away. I don't think I've seen it. We've gotten <laughs> away from various modalities of learning because we are preparing for big assessments and so forth and so on. But, you know, we need to go back to that because 
that's how not only are you able to reach 85% of your scholars when you're showing them various ways of getting to the, to the answer, but right. also um, you are teaching to each individual learning style. Right, right. And going back to what you said, you know, there's just, there's so many different ways of learning something. You yes. know, there's multiple ways of learning. So it's it's awesome that you can, um, you have the opportunity to do that. And you're an advocate for these children. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm happy that, you know, you were able to share some of the strategies. Is there a way that people can connect with you. Um, do you have like a, a YouTube channel? Or are you are you building that up? So I'm building my YouTube channel, um, but I am on uh, social media. Okay. And um, do you want to give you out know, your information? So sure. So it's Farida Goodwin, um, and that's F A R I Y D A G O O D W I N. And so I am on Twitter, um, Facebook, as well as Instagram. Okay. 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 Um, was there anything else, Farida? I'm glad that you joined well, me. Yeah, I had so much fun, Beth. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, thank you for having me. Good. Yeah, I was like a little nervous, but. Oh. You're just so easy to talk to. So oh, I thank you. So are you. Much. You know, when we first spoke, you know, I could I felt connected with you the first time we spoke. So don't I be nervous talking that. to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new um. experience, right? So, um, but yes, I thank you for having me, and I just hope that uh, the information that we shared it really helps someone to break the code. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. I'm sure you gave some really good strategies. Um, Well, I'm hoping to hear your podcast soon. And hopefully you come on my show, you know, again, um, soon. I will. I'd be honored. Thank you so much, Beth. Okay. All right. Well, take care. And we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Absolutely. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Farida um, Goodwin. It was nice for her to join us. Um, and, you know, hopefully she will come back on the show. I, I think she gave some really great strategies um, to some families out there who are listening. And just a few announcements I wanted to make. Um, our platform here at Hindsight Radio has several shows. The Bun Bay Show on Mondays at 7 p.m. The Truth Tuesday Show with Akeem L. at 7 p.m. Solomon Temple Show on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Divine Connection Show on Thursdays with Tasia and Jessica at 7 p.m. And, of course, my show, Raising an Independent Thinker, every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. And um, please, you know, Connect with um, with us each week. Um, it was wonderful talking to you guys, and I'm hoping that um, you all come back next week and listen to the show next week. Okay, take care, everyone. Have a great night. Have a great week. Stay blessed. Peace.